Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 194. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Ian Fox. Hey, Kip, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I've been looking forward to this, because today I want to talk about knowledge, trivia, and shame. And this topic was inspired by a very specific segment that Jimmy Kimmel, an American talk show host, produces and shares on his show in which one of his producers will go out onto the streets and interview pedestrians about current events or other topics that, at least in my mind, occasionally fall into the category of trivia. For example, U.S. presidents over the course of our nation's history. And I, for one, think it's interesting to know facts like that, but I don't know that I would call it essential. And another segment, which will be referenced in this conversation, had the producer asking individuals to locate North Korea on a map. And this is, of course, a nation with which our country interacts, tries to negotiate, etc. And they are a relevant player on the world stage. So some people might see U.S. presidents and North Korea's geographic location in different informational spheres. But what's essential for me in this segment is that it's comical and humorous when passersby don't know things. For example, pointing to Brazil and saying, is this where North Korea is? Or, with the U.S. president's example, they were asked if they could list more U.S. presidents or members of Marvel's Avengers. And most people had a breeze doing the latter, but could not name more than a few U.S. presidents. And this segment really sat with me because I think knowledge and curiosity and learning are essential things, but I don't think our country, perhaps others, has a healthy relationship with learning, with acquiring knowledge. And as minuscule or humorous as these segments that I saw on YouTube might be, I feel it says something about how we as a culture deal with ignorance and approach other people who may not know what we know. And this overall tone of shame, or at least mockery, really bothered me. And Ian, I'd of course love to hear how you come at this. What comes to mind are a couple questions. One, what is the purpose that the producers think that they're achieving? Two, what is the actual effect that the audience is experiencing? And then three, what is the effect on the person who's actually being asked those questions? So to my mind, the producers are going for a comedic effect. In a way, they either want to make fun of the person for not knowing something, or they want to point out a flaw in the education of our populace, or just to say what we value as a larger thing, and to point out how non-topical that is. And I think all of those are moving pieces within this. And it's super valid in its own way. So in terms of the producer's intent, it's pretty clear. For the audience, the message that we get watching this is that, one, look at this fool who doesn't know something about the world that I would know, which probably isn't even true, which in turn makes us feel better than, makes us feel a sense of togetherness that we are against a person in a way, or at least laughing at someone. But it definitely speaks to a larger question of how we value the knowledge, as you said in your opening. So the question I'd pose back to you is what effect do you see this having or what do you think this says about how we actually mechanize knowledge, especially for entertainment? I really appreciate that question. And you mentioned a lot of details I find really crucial. For example, 
the idea of being topical, I suspect, is highly woven into how we treat knowledge, how we value knowledge as a society or culture. As far as the mechanization of knowledge for entertainment, I feel like there's far more of mockery or judgment of people who don't know things. I would make the point that I don't think ours is an entertainment industry that particularly prizes knowledge. There are certainly more intellectual shows and pieces of content, but I think the majority of content out there, I certainly subscribe to and enjoy a lot of it, is more rooted in emotion and feeling, things which can't always be quantified or easily categorized or even articulately discussed because they encapsulate something almost transcendent. Music is very popular, and while lyrics absolutely convey messages, themes, and ideas, the feelings we get from certain chords or melodies are not so easily discussed as knowledge might be. So I would reply that I don't think knowledge has a substantial role, at least from where I stand, when it comes to entertainment. There are very few examples of how knowledge comes up in our popular culture. The main one is trivia and, for example, Jeopardy, one of the few places where it literally pays to know things. But while there are examples, I think you're right, that overall, we tend to prioritize glamour over substance, which is just part of our system. So as we think about this specific segment, the question to my mind is not just how we fit knowledge into our entertainment industry, but also should we be shaming people for not knowing things or should we be shaming people who didn't sign up for this in a way to enter into this field, which people who enter Jeopardy are a specific kind of person and they try and they train in order to get there. I would even make the hypothesis that collectively ours is a culture which surrenders knowledge. In previous decades, people who wanted to travel across the country would have to know how to read a map and how to plan for something like that. Presently, the majority of us, and this includes me, use phones or other technology to maintain certain knowledge or information, if you want to call it that, in our stead. In ancient times, there were cultures where people would memorize entire histories, perhaps in verse rather than prose. And nowadays, though I don't believe ours is a world lacking in intellect, it's not how the majority of us utilize our brain space. Over the past 10 years, there's a clear reason in my mind that titans like YouTube and Netflix have emerged. And while they don't lack educational or informational content, the majority of what we find on these platforms is meant to evoke emotion or feeling. So while talk show hosts or other entertainers may be the face of this knowledge shaming, for the rest of us who laugh, we are not bystanders to the act of mockery. We are participants in our laughter. And I can't define that as inherently right or wrong. I think knowledge and the act of preserving or sharing knowledge is a complex topic. But it's funny in a way that we laugh at people who don't know things when they're members of our society. We would all benefit if we were all more informed. Should we not express concern that someone who votes in our society may raise children in our society and in one way or another does have an impact on the web in which we live, doesn't know certain information? That's where I would immediately reply, well, it depends what kind of information. I don't know that I am that worried if people don't know who previous presidents were. 
But that said, maybe that comes along with other knowledge. Do they recall what the Civil War was and why it was fought? Do they know other things about our nation's history that I do think are essential? Maybe certain knowledge is a shorthand for other knowledge we expect people to associate with it. So perhaps I should be more worried that people can't name more than three or four U.S. presidents. It sounds like the question you're asking is why they should know these things at all. And I have a couple thoughts on that. At least with the example of North Korea, there is a point where you don't need to know much about North Korea. We as people, for example, someone sitting in Nebraska doesn't necessarily engage in the international relations with North Korea. That said, with our political system, the system that we are, we do have a responsibility to be informed voters and participants in that system. So to that end, I would say that yes, we should know this knowledge, however obscure, in order to have a functioning democracy where we also hold our elected officials accountable. There is, in a lot of ways, no reason to have all this knowledge in our heads. We, as a larger society, with our new technologies, such as this newfangled cellular device thing, we don't surrender the knowledge, we outsource it. And in outsourcing it, we expand what we can do with our time. Just the nature of not having to know a map means that you can free up your other time to plan things that you'll do along the way, for example, or listen to podcasts. That, of course, is its own form of a very American sense of colonialism in that we are basically putting the burden of our own worries or troubles on someone else, or in this case, a system, or in some ways still people. But to the same extent, the knowledge that we want and need becomes more of an intentional choice. And through that, the kind of knowledge that we would get for, for example, trivia becomes either I will study to be good at trivia or I have all this free time because I've outsourced my other parts of my life in order to study this anyway, which is another trait of a lot of academic institutions and traditions themselves. So in a way, the question is, who gets to have this knowledge? And then, separately, back to your question, once we have that answer, why do we laugh at those who don't? Is that because we hold other people to different standards than we hold ourselves? I think the answer is yes. But also, it becomes a mirror into what we really are and how we should be growing. The problem is that we are not internalizing that and actually making it a change for ourselves. And with the mention of a mirror, we laugh at or mock those who may not know things. But upon reflection, ignorance is one of the most human and initial states to occupy. We begin life without much knowledge, and aside from instinct, things we can do like breathing, etc., which may not be considered knowledge, we start life knowing nothing. We are sponges to new information, but a lot of us are always learning things. I hope over the course of our lives, that's a truth in one way or another for every human being. So I wish rather than laughing, we expressed more sympathy with people who didn't know things, because there was a time, as Malcolm X once implied, when you didn't know the thing that this person currently doesn't know. The quotation I'm referring to says, Don't be in such a hurry to condemn a person because he doesn't know what you do, or think as you think, or as fast. There was a time when you didn't know what you know today. And to me, that quotation gets at the fact that life and learning are like a climb. And as you scale higher and higher, you might forget what the initial climb was like or feel superior to people who are not as high up on the mountain or cliffside as you are. 
And so in a decidedly pessimistic interpretation, I worry that in laughing at others, we don't feel sympathy for them, and frankly, don't care if they educate themselves, because in some sense, we might, as a collective audience, prefer that they remain uninformed so that we will have an object of mockery into the foreseeable future. Some people might disagree with me, and in fact, I hope they do, because I don't want that to be the case. But when I look out into our society and see ignorance, I don't see it met with an enthusiasm to inform so much as a strong reflex to condemn, to mock. And I'm absolutely not condoning ignorance that is maintained. One should inform oneself. But at the same time, education is not always so straightforward. Misinformation exists, and not everyone knows how to conduct research and find information they don't know. I love it when people say, I don't know what I don't know, because that's a very relatable circumstance to be in. It's hard to know what gaps your mind might have, because the brain as an organ is frighteningly efficient at closing gaps and producing continuity where it may not previously exist. Our minds prefer the comfort of answers to the uncertainty of questions, in my perception, of human nature. And back to the idea of how we outsource those questions, at least in my life, and also I think across our system, what we do with this, especially with topical questions like North Korea, is we outsource it to journalists and media institutions, which I think very validly so. There are topical experts in transportation with a level of detail that I not only won't have, but also don't care to have. But I do care about the answer that they're providing me with if they're a trusted source. So in that sense, I don't blame people for this. In terms of the question of why we laugh and is shame effective in bringing this up in ourselves, I would say, in a way, comedy is the most effective way to do that because it takes away the power of the statement itself and it becomes a moment of relatability. Now, is shame the right way to get that comedic effect? I don't really know how else to do it in this situation. And I'm also not a comedian. And in a way, it is disrespectful to the person who we're finding on the street and asking these random questions. Also, the fact is they don't know where North Korea is. That's just a fact. Back to your initial question, how are we complicit then in laughing at this without reinforcing the idea that we should actually be seeking the answers rather than having the answers already? I have no idea. I actually don't, I don't, have, I don't have any answer to that. I don't really know. And I'm going to linger in this space of the question without the answer. And I appreciate your confession, if you'll allow me to call it that, that you don't know, because I think it's far more common to want to appear knowledgeable than to acknowledge that you don't have all the answers, which gets into pride for many of us, and the intention or desire to appear well-read, knowledgeable, and as an umbrella which defines those and other terms, self-functioning and independent, so that other people need not worry about you or talk about you behind your back in concerned tones. Were they educated? Do they know as much as we know? Should we interact with someone like that in the future? And I especially appreciated the U.S. Presidents versus Marvel Avengers example because it illustrates to me one prominent threshold in our society and our love for entertainment, which, again, I'm complicit in and share, that people found it so easy to name Avengers, in my mind, speaks to their popularity. And I would look at history teachers or perhaps historians for not capturing history in a way that people are excited to remember. Because the knowledge we preserve has to be actively preserved. 
Either it will be drilled into us, perhaps by shame or other societal institutions, or internally, something we find so fascinating or appealing that we commit it to memory because we enjoy it. I would point to the musical Hamilton, and for all the critiques people might have of it, it made a lot of people excited about that era of American history and preserved some of the facts and events from that era in the minds of 21st century American citizens and people abroad, which speaks to the fact that entertainment and information are not at odds with one another, but they are distinct siblings in my mind, ways that we occupy our time that can be congruent, but in our culture do not always appear to be. And back to one of our earliest questions about shame, I concede that comedy may be an excellent tool to point out societal ignorance, but I struggle to envision too many scenarios in which someone has been shamed for not knowing something and is then eager or even interested on some level to learn it. And that scares me when it comes to certain topics because people should have knowledge of complex or sensitive issues like race. But if they don't know how to talk about it and fear they may be mocked for some of their questions in a genuine attempt to learn, then I don't think conversations happen. And certainly race is a complex issue that I don't mean to gloss over. But knowledge of racial history, injustice, etc., I believe, is one of the routes to a more fair and compassionate future. And some people don't know that history, were not taught it, maybe come from a part of the world or our country where they were taught misinformation because of shame or fear or other emotions that I would contend are often barriers to knowledge and learning and don't stoke curiosity. As I'm hearing you talk about how we value entertainment and also knowledge in our popular culture, I'm also wondering at what cost that would happen. For example, Hamilton was developed by Lin-Manuel Miranda along with an actual scholar of Hamilton. So in a way, it had checks and balances built in. But inherently, by making something more accessible to a larger number of people, you are watering it down. So I would say that is maybe not the best example because it was fairly effective in preserving the history and its authenticity. But for example, with historical fiction films, at what cost are we preserving and silencing other narratives through history? That's kind of a larger question that I don't think is necessarily topical here. But As you do bring up how to welcome more people into the fold of knowledge, which, by the way, in the systems that we uphold, knowledge is often congruent with power and with the systems of power. I'm thinking about my own time in a classroom, for example. I wasn't a very good student, partially because I didn't try, but why didn't I try? It's because I felt shame around my grades or around not knowing things, and that by the third day, when I couldn't remember what we did on the second day, I would not go back to learn it because I was like, well, it's long gone. And that wasn't helpful for me or for anyone. And in a way, that was both my responsibility and also the responsibility of the educational system to kindle that into curiosity, like you were saying. I think the larger question of this whole topic, how are we promoting the desire to learn? Is it through shame or is it through joy? Or is it through curiosity and learning to dwell within the questions? These aren't simple answers, and there also will not be one answer. There will always be many answers. Is the work of Jimmy Kimmel's segment achieving this? I would say, yeah. Without it, we wouldn't be confronted with that mirror. And that even though it is unfair to that one person for us projecting that onto them, and I am not saying that that is a good thing, it does make us talk about it. And that is more than we could say otherwise. I really appreciate that interpretation. That's very open-minded of you. 
And before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to this discussion? I would encourage each of us to think about the areas that we are uncomfortable not knowing something or that we feel like we should know and where we feel like we should not ask the question for some reason, usually beyond ourselves. And I would ask each of us to confront that. I think that with any type of knowledge, whether that's why flames are sometimes green when there's copper or whether it's the history of the Eiffel Tower, whatever it is, the pursuit of that knowledge is worthwhile in itself. And each of us has those blind spots. And it's our responsibility as individuals to close that gap. I would add, in my belief that our world is more web-like and interconnected than many tracks running in parallel, that in the pursuit of knowledge about topic A, you are likely to learn about other topics, whether you intended to or not. And if you're someone who is curious or genuinely after knowledge, you will come out of that pursuit a more knowledgeable person and, I think, well-rounded. I'd be curious to know if you listening think that we have outsourced, as Ian put it, some of our knowledge. What knowledge have we brought in-house? What knowledge do we value? And is it equivalent or more useful than the knowledge we've chosen to put in devices or other areas of our lives? And finally, I'd like to ask about relevance. How do you determine whether knowledge or information is or is not relevant to you? I know I'm not the only one who sees connections in the world, and many people have said, we are all connected. You may not believe that, but where do you draw that line and why? And of course, Ian, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on and discussing this today. Thanks, Kip. You're the man. That's very sweet of you to say. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we most certainly do not hold all the knowledge in the world. So we'd love to hear what you think. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon.com, where in exchange for your support, you can receive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.